This morning, um, as we open God's Word and ask the Holy Spirit to open our hearts, I want to pray the collect from the third Sunday of Advent. These are written prayers that come out of the historic tradition of the Anglican Church. And they're called collects because they're meant to collect us together in the presence of the Lord. Let's pray. Stir up your power, O Lord, and with great might come among us. And because we are sorely hindered by our sins, let your bountiful grace and mercy speedily help and deliver us. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honor and glory now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. So you can hear the theme this morning from the lighting of the Advent wreath to the music to the gospel that we're in a place in the gospel of John where we're looking at the healing power of God, that God is a physical healer, he is an emotional healer, he is a spiritual healer. And when we think about healing, it's important to start with the one who creates us. God so loves us. He loves us and creates us to be like him. It's how the story begins. God creates us to be whole and healthy in body and mind and in soul. He creates us to be like him. God's never sick. God doesn't hurt. God doesn't struggle with issues of identity or purpose or worth. And so when God creates us in his image and likeness, he creates us to be healthy and whole in body, mind, and spirit. And you know how the story goes. Sin shatters this image. Our wholeness becomes distorted. Our wellness becomes corrupted. As a result of the reality of sin in our lives, we are not whole. We are broken. We don't have it all together. We're a mess. And as a result, we live in brokenness. We live in a broken world as broken people in broken relationships. And so we experience anxiety. We experience depression. We experience addiction and fear. Aches and pain, infirmity and disease. This is the reality of our humanity. Our brokenness is a result of a broken relationship with our God. And in our brokenness, we all have a common longing. We all long to be whole. And we go to whatever might work. Consumerism is a choice. Moralism is a go-to. 
successism. I made it up, but I think it works. Even superstition. Right? This is, this is where we go to be made whole. We falsely believe, well, more stuff will make me better. We falsely believe, you know, behaving better will make me better. We falsely believe that we can get better by getting smarter or by trying harder. We place our hope in Oprah and her latest book recommendation. Sometimes we don't even know where to turn. We're all broken. We're all a mess. And in one way or another, we all know that we need help. But what we truly need doesn't come from the world. And it doesn't come from within ourselves. What we truly need is the Lord to come to us. And as we prayed, to stir up his power among us. And by his bountiful grace and mercy to help us and to deliver us. And that's what we see God doing in our gospel this morning. I want to encourage you to open your Bibles to John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. In those blue Bibles, that's on page 890. I also want to encourage you to get out something to write with. If you'd like a journal, there's journals on the Bible carts back there. I really want to encourage you to continue as we open the Word and open our hearts to open a journal, to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest what the Lord is saying to us that we might hear and respond to him and put that into practice this week. John continues to share stories of people who behold the glory of Christ, and as they behold the glory of Christ, they find life in him. Physical, emotional, spiritual life. So that's what we've been seeing the last couple of weeks. People look up to Nicodemus. People look down on the Samaritan woman. And in our story this morning, people don't even see the crippled man. These three couldn't be more unlike each other, and yet all three have something in common. What do they have in common? With different personalities, different experiences and backgrounds, they all need Jesus. Look at verses 2 and 5. This is uh, the setting of the story, and it's really cool. Jesus comes into the city of Jerusalem through an entrance called the Sheep Gate. Think about that for a minute. And uh, Archaeologists have identified this part of the city as an old sheep market. And in this uh, old sheep market, by the sheep gate, there are two identical pools that used to provide water for the animals to drink. And on every side of these pools, and one in the middle, are porches or colonnades that provide shade for the shepherds. 
And this is where Jesus comes. Through the sheep gate into this old sheep market. Around these pools with shaded porches. And the pool, we now know, is fed by some natural spring that has spa-like qualities. Have anybody ever been to a natural spring? Been there? Um, the last time I went to a natural spring, Princeton Hot Springs and Buena Vista, Colorado, so nice for the aches and pains of hiking or the aches and pains of parenting. <laughs> um, these, these springs um, that form these pools with these colonnades gets a name. And it, it's called Bethesda. And uh, Bethesda means house of mercy. House of mercy. And no longer is it filled with sheep about to be sold for slaughter. It's filled with a multitude of humans desperately hoping for healing. Do you picture that? Can you see what Jesus is walking into and its significance? There's a multitude here, blind who cannot see, lame who cannot walk, paralyzed who cannot move. And it's a poignant picture of our brokenness, of our desperate need for mercy. And what we know is that people have come because of what they believe. There's a, there's a rumor. There's some scuttlebutt. There's a, a superstition that an angel would occasionally come and stir up the water in the pool and the first person in the water would be healed. It's the only hope they have. It's the only place they know where to turn. It's those who cannot help themselves desperately looking for help wherever they can find it. Now this, I think, provides a good first journal activity for us this morning and for this week. What are the ways that you're hoping for healing? I think this is a, a good season to ask ourselves that question. It's a common thing that we reflect on this time of year with the different emotions and uh, the things that go on with family and the conflict that bubbles up as a result of different relationships. We tend to be a little bit more introspective this time of year, and I think we're asking these questions, but are, are we really taking time to ask this question? How is it that I'm hoping to be healed? Where do I need to be healed? Is it, is it my back or my knee or cancer? Is it from anger or apathy or because I'm holding on to unforgiveness? Is it memory loss or depression or anxiety? Is there a deep wound in my life that's negatively affecting my attitude and my relationships? Are we willing to acknowledge our brokenness and our desperate need for help? 
Among the multitude at the house of mercy is a frail, sick man. He's an invalid, too weak to care for himself, unable to heal himself. He's desperate to be well. And what's particularly notable about this man is that he's been lying there hoping for healing for 38 years. Alone, suffering, helpless, hoping for healing for 38 years. Wow. Look at verses 6 and 7. God helps those who help themselves, right? God helps those who help themselves. This error is so deeply ingrained in the American conscience that people actually try to tell me that God helps those who help themselves is in the Bible. It's not. In fact, the exact opposite is true. Do you know who actually said that? It's actually Benjamin Franklin in one of his journals. It's not the scripture. And he was a deist and off. So anyway, therefore... The opposite is true. What we see throughout the scripture, and we see it time and time again, is that God helps the helpless. That's the heart of God. He helps the helpless. That's what mercy is. You know the game Mercy? Come on, bud. Okay, just out of, just out of curiosity, I'll, Ben, I'll let you answer Who's, who's more powerful in this relationship? Me. <laughs> okay. Okay, we, you need to go back to journal question one. <laughs> Honestly, who's more powerful? Okay, so let's play a little mercy here. Give me, give me fingers. Come on. A little mercy here. Okay, somebody say one, two, three, go. One, two, three, go. Okay, now, what's going to happen here is that he's going to be in a lot of pain. And he's not going to be able to help himself. He doesn't have anything within him that is going to be able to get him out of this problem. Right? Who's the only one that can get him out of this problem? That's right. And how do I let him out of this problem? By showing mercy. And what does he do to end his suffering? Mercy. Mercy. Okay. Thanks, bud. Well done. The story of the crippled man at the pool of mercy, at the house of mercy, is our story. We're powerless to help and deliver ourselves. We're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. We're broken. We're weak. We're hurting. We are desperate for deliverance, but we're unable to do anything about it. We're just like the crippled man. In more ways than one. Because just like him, we don't recognize mercy when mercy shows up because we're spiritually blind. And we don't get up and run to meet mercy when mercy shows up because we're spiritually lame. And we don't even lift a hand to help mercy because we're paralyzed and can't do anything on our behalf. We are helpless to help 
ourselves. Do you see that in what John's trying to testify to us this morning? Do you see that in the gospel? Because it's in seeing that that we discover how good the good news is. That God helps those who cannot help themselves. That's the heart of the Father. That's the power of the gospel. Look what happens. Mercy shows up at the house of mercy. It's how God saves us. It's how God heals us. Mercy. Think about if if our healing, if our salvation depends upon our ability to see God or our ability to work toward God or our ability to help God in any way, then who would be saved? The answer is nobody. (laughs) That's why this is such good news, is that God helps those who can't help themselves. God shows up in Jesus, who is the mercy of God. Jesus pursues us with mercy. And like we see in each one of these stories, Jesus initiates the relationship. Jesus starts the conversation. And in this particular need, he asks a particular question. Do you want to get well? Would you like to get well? And at first, the man's put out. That's how I see it. I imagine what goes through his mind. Do I want to get well? Of course I want to get well. I've been here 38 years trying to get well. Why would anybody ask such an obtuse question? Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? It's not so much a question as an invitation. It's an invitation to engage relationally with mercy. That's what Jesus comes to give. But the man's struggling. He's too locked up inside of his own need. He can only see the problem. He can't see the problem solver. He's too broken and weak to contemplate change. And change is scary. So he's fixated on his past failures. And he can't see how mercy is standing before him, offering him a better future. He's a sheep without a shepherd, harassed and helpless. And the good shepherd comes to him to lead him to the water. Every single generation is the same. You and I are no different than that crippled man. We get stuck in our brokenness. And we long to be made whole, but we are helpless to help ourselves. And so what happens is we build our lives around our brokenness. And we keep hoping for healing 
but we put our trust in everything and anything except for the one who can truly help us. And this leads to journal question number two. In your brokenness, where are you turning to be made whole? What's your go-to? What are you putting your trust in? Where are you looking for mercy? Are you willing to admit that you don't have the ability to help yourself? Step one. Step two, are you willing to turn away from the things of this world and turn to the only one full of goodness and mercy? Are you open to the possibility that God helps those who cannot help themselves, including me and you, and he wants to help us because he so loves us? It's a powerful reflection during the season as we think about making a way for Jesus to come into our hearts and into our homes and into every aspect of our lives. Jesus is the mercy of God, and he comes to help those who cannot help themselves, to confront our long, lingering needs, the spiritual, the emotional, the mental, the physical wounding and pain that holds us back from the full and abundant life that he creates us to experience from the beginning. Jesus comes to stir up his power among us, the power of the living water who is the Holy Spirit. Jesus comes with grace and mercy to help us and deliver us. So how does that happen? How does that happen this morning? How does it happen this week? How does that happen in our marriages and our parenting amongst our coworkers with our next door neighbor who so desperately needs mercy? How does it happen? Look at verses 8 and 9. Because what John's doing here in telling this story is making sure that we see what faith looks like. It's important that we see what faith looks like so that we can have life in Jesus. Faith is initiated by Jesus. He speaks the word and the man believes. Jesus speaks the word and, and by the power of the Spirit, the man in his mind comprehends what Jesus is offering. Faith is initiated by Jesus. And then faith is trusting Jesus, trusting what Jesus says. What happens is the man's heart becomes set on Jesus and what Jesus can do. And in the great crescendo of this story, John's trying to help us see that faith isn't just an encounter relationally with Jesus. It isn't just trusting Jesus. It is obeying Jesus. Faith does what Jesus says. Get up and walk. And the man gets up and walks. He's healed. He's delivered. Jesus says the word the man hears. Right? And faith comes by hearing. Jesus shows mercy and the man believes. Jesus does the work and the man stands up and walks. Jesus shows mercy and the man is delivered 
He cannot help himself. Jesus doesn't require him to do anything. And he's healed. Healing happens. Spiritual healing happens. Physical healing happens. Emotional healing happens. And healing happens when we come face to face with mercy, when we hear his word and we obey what he says. So the question then becomes, in what way are you trapped? Maybe this season you're trapped in unforgiveness. I am. What does it look like to believe Jesus and do what he says? Forgive one another as I have forgiven you. You want to be healed? Do what Jesus says. In what ways might you be immobilized by addiction? What does Jesus say? If your right eye causes you to sin, cut it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go to hell. What is he saying? He's saying, deal radically with it. You want to be set free? Hear his truth and walk in it. In what ways are you in bondage to money or sex or power? What does it look like to believe in Jesus and do what he says. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money or sex or power. You can only have one Lord in our lives. Who are you submitting to? Jesus comes to help us to deliver us. He speaks the truth to us. We hear the word that we might be set free. We hear the word and believe that's how healing happens, not because we have the power to heal ourselves, but because Jesus comes to us and speaks a word of life over us that we might have life in him. That's how we receive life in his name. And so... I'm going to try that out this morning. And I'm going to invite all of us as a family to try that out together. That's the invitation to the Lord Jesus who comes among us in this house of mercy at the table. We're no longer harassed and helpless. We have a good shepherd full of grace and mercy, who is here with us now, eager to help us and to deliver us. That's his invitation to us as we come to him through the bread and the wine, that we might hear him, that we might be helped by him, that we might be healed physically, emotionally, and spiritually, and delivered from all that holds us back, from full and abundant life in him. Will you come to him at the table this morning? Will you go to prayer teams this morning? Let's pray. Stir up your power, O Lord. And with great might, come among us. 
And because we are sorely hindered by our sins, let your bountiful grace and mercy speedily help and deliver us through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honor and glory now and forever. Amen.